Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. And we're live. Hello. Not our third take. Definitely not. No. Why would it be our third take? Smooth and good intro. How are you? sailing as usual. I'm great. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm ready for today's episode. I mean, who doesn't love a freak accident? Well, probably the people people who who are in them. Right. Yeah. But everyone else? But everyone else probably likes a freak accident because they are really interesting and terrifying. Yeah. I mean, we're all morbidly curious, but... You know, probably also their like loved ones and friends probably not yeah. on board. They also hate the freak accident, but in all of the freak accidents I've got for you today, they live as is our show. And we like that part. And we do. Yes. So, you know, since we don't have any other intro to, to give you, why don't we jump right in? We have nothing at the top. Hey, there's nothing you know? at the top right now, guys. And you're not going to get something at the top every single time. But... Wait, I remembered there is the Patreon episode is out. It is currently out. Go to Patreon. We love our patrons. They are top tier. And you can be that too. You can become top tier. All right, we're getting off the rails. Okay. Well, I mean, it's just a quick drop. A little hot, fresh Patreon episode. You are right. We do need to self-plug every once in a while because, hey, it keeps keeps the lights on. You know, it keeps the episodes coming. What what are we going to do? That's so true, King. Am I valid right now? You're so valid for that. Thank you so much. All right. Why don't we get started? Let's get in. Let's jump into it. Let's dig in. Okay. Tuck in. All right. That's enough. All right. If I had to give a title for story number one, it would be Wear a Seatbelt. Oh. It was 16-year-old Kennedy's junior year of high school, and two days before her car crash, she said her boyfriend had broken up with her, so she was kind of an emotional mess. It's the worst possible thing. You're 16 years old and your boyfriend breaks up with you. Her two best friends, Jacob and Nakia, decided they would head over to Kennedy's house and the three of them would go watch the sunset to cheer her up. Good friends. Yeah. They would be going to the D, which sounds like it was a lookout point at the base of a mountain that was around three to four miles down the road from Kennedy's house. And while Kennedy and her friends were at the mountain, her friend Jacob's mother called him and told him that he needed to be home by 9 p.m. And it was already 8.30 p.m. So they're like, "Uh uh-oh, we got to get Jacob home. So they decided they would head back to Kennedy's house. That way, Jacob could get his car and then, you know, he could go home and meet his curfew. Going from the D to Kennedy's home was a straight shot all the way there. They only had to take one main road. They only had to go through a few stop signs. And according to Kennedy, the road was very narrow and didn't have any kind of barrier on the sides. And it was like kind of a very rural area. So the road was almost like covered in dirt and debris. So it was kind of almost hard to see the road. Really? Okay. Yeah. So Kennedy was the one driving, but she started crying as she was driving because of the breakup. But as she cried, her car kind of veered to the left side of the road And when she realized, she overcorrected the car and they went off the right side of the road. Off the road, there was a little bump in the dirt and Kennedy's car caught air as they went and her car hit the left side of a power line and the car flipped sideways and then started rolling. Oh my God. Yeah. So as the car flipped, they went past another power line as Kennedy was ejected from the car. 
No. She went flying and actually landed on the wire between the two power lines. She landed on the wire. Yes. And she got tangled in the wire. She was hanging upside down by her broken femur. Oh. On the electrical wire between the two poles. Uncomfy. So, so ugh. Yeah. Like visceral. Mm-hmm. She was just hanging upside down. Yeah. And she would stay Wait. like that for like an hour. Are the power lines like up? Like where are the power lines? What do you mean? Why are they so low? They aren't so low. She got ejected. She, got, she went up? Yeah. She's up. She's Like up. what, 20, 30 feet? Yes. So she got flung at just the right point of the tumble that she got shot up in 30 the air. feet in the air yes and through a window yeah probably the window because she said she doesn't know how she got out of the car but she was ejected at such a speed and height that she landed on the power lines the ones that line the road you know where they are what they look like i know but i'm <laughs> shocked yeah i'm a little surprised to hear that she landed up there i can't even imagine the car doing a thing that would make this happen yeah. It just seems so crazy. Well, the other crazy thing was that she wasn't even going faster than the speed limit. She was going the speed limit. She was going really? like 55 miles an hour or something like that, which it was like um, a, you know, it was a main quick. road. But when she went off the road, her car picked up momentum faster than that, basically. And like as they flipped, she was like shot out of the car. Wow. It's a freak accident. I know. But yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> need I remind little, you? This is a freak one. Yeah, a little freaky. So all of a sudden, Kennedy was hanging upside down from the power line by her broken leg in the dark. She initially was confused about where she was, but once she realized, she said she felt very alone up there. As she hung there, blood was dripping up her face and was like kind of almost drowning her because like she had a lot of cuts and like broken things and it was dripping down because, you know, she's hanging upside down. Sorry if that's kind of graphic, but that is what was happening. And the wire that was wrapped around her leg had some electricity going through it. So her leg was also getting burnt as she hung there. Yeah, just jaw on the floor. uh, What? I know. She was very scared and confused about why nobody was helping her get down. But her friends definitely couldn't do anything. They also had been ejected from the car and were injured in their own way. She also couldn't see them because the way she was hanging, she was facing the road and they were behind her like in a field. So she couldn't see her friends. She was alone 30 feet in the air, hanging upside down. It's like a nightmare situation. Yeah. I mean, I also, even if they got off scot-free, they're probably not looking at the power line. Oh, they definitely could see her. Okay. Yeah. Once EMTs arrived, they still had to wait a while for a truck to be able to get her down from such a height. But to Kennedy, it kind of just felt like everyone was standing there and staring up at her because there were like emergency vehicles there and emergency people, but like nobody could reach her. So they're all just like looking up at her and there's nothing she could do. There's nothing they can do either. Right. Unless somebody's going to scale the telephone pole. Wooden pole. Yeah, Yeah. you can't really do that. After about an hour, they did get a fire truck with a ladder and someone made it up to Kennedy and put a tourniquet on her. She had been losing blood the whole time she was up there, and she was starting to feel very tired. They had a very difficult job trying to figure out how to get her off of that wire. She said, they had to take my bone and leg back through the wire to get me untangled. That's like a quote. I don't really even know what that means, but it sounds awful. No. (laughs) Yeah. Once Kennedy had been taken down from the wire, she felt like it was her time to go. 
Like she didn't feel like she would make it to the hospital. She had lost so much blood and she was so weak at that point that even though she was in an ambulance, she was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm checking out. This is time to die. Wow. Yeah. Neither Kennedy nor her two friends had their seatbelts on. So all of them were ejected out of the car. Like I said, Nakia had broken her neck, her back and her pelvis in the crash. And Jacob, who was in the back seat and was ejected last, broke his neck and his pelvis. So all three of them were in bad shape. I mean, Kennedy was definitely the worst, and it was a freak accident on her part, but all three of them were in bad shape. Yeah, I mean, broken neck sounds pretty bad to me. Yeah, both of them had a broken neck and a pelvis, and, you know, Nakia had a broken back. So Kennedy had a broken collarbone, humerus, and femur, which had to be amputated, and she had severe nerve damage in her right arm. The way she explained the nerve damage was five of the nerves in her arm were injured, but three of them, and this is graphic, were pulled out at the root from her spine, and two of them were stretched really far, which left her arm almost paralyzed. I didn't even know that was like a thing, that your nerve could be pulled out by the root. Like it's hair? Yeah, like it's a piece of spaghetti. I mean, I guess nerves are like spaghetti. I guess. For a long time, all she could do was move her fingers just a little bit. And she's still affected by it today because her arm doesn't work the way it's supposed to. But she does have more function than just moving her fingers. She actually had to get four amputations on the same leg because her leg just kept rotting. So they had to keep taking more of it off. That sucks so much. Yeah. And I she mean, was you really 16. just think that you're done. And then they keep taking off your leg. Well, she didn't. And she's 16. She yeah. wasn't conscious until after the fourth amputation. Oh. So she didn't know that her leg was even gone when she woke up. She underwent eight surgeries in 12 hours. And when she finally woke up, she was in a lot of pain. But like I said, didn't know she had lost a leg. She had to be put in a medically induced coma for a few days. And when she woke up from that, her father had to break the news that the doctors couldn't save her leg. And when they told her that, it was obviously devastating. But her first question was, did either of my friends lose a limb? And her father told her, no, it was just her. And she was relieved because she didn't want her friends to have any lasting injuries from something that she did. Wow, that's her first thought. Yeah. But, I mean, it was devastating news to get as a 16-year-old. And she, when she heard that her leg was amputated, she thought that it was going to be, like, around the knee or something. But it was, like, all the way up at the top of her thigh. Because, like I said, they had to do multiple amputations. So she really didn't have any leg left. Or, like, not much leg at all. That's so hard. I mean, what terrible news. I'm trying to backtrack. This all happened in one week. Your boyfriend broke up with you and you lost your leg. Yes. And almost killed your friends. And herself. And yeah. herself. That's got to be one of the worst weeks. Yes. You know? Y- yes. I, I think that's a safe thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> when she learned that she had her leg amputated, she almost felt like it was still there because she was getting phantom pains. But she also said for a while she could actually kind of still see her leg. Like her mind was playing tricks on her. And she described like all of the scars on her leg and how her toes looked. And she like felt like it was there, but it wasn't. And like she said, she knew it wasn't there, but also she could see it. Interesting. Yeah. So crazy what the brain does. I know. The power line that was wrapped around her leg had actually pinched off her main artery, 
which meant she didn't bleed out. And the second thing is that she could have also bled out from where her arm was ripped away from her body, but the assumption is that the electricity in the line actually burned the area around her shoulder and back and had a cauterizing effect so that she didn't lose all her blood from that either. That is insane. Isn't that kind of cool? Yeah, that's so cool. Like two crazy parts of this freak accident actually saved her. Yes. In this morbid way. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I I can't even think of another story where like whatever was hurting somebody actually saved their life. Well, I can think of one for that, but not like cauterize the wound for them. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that was the reason she didn't bleed, bleed out was because it burned it to stop the blood flow. It's pretty insane. So the power line very likely saved her in both of those ways, in addition to just catching her so she didn't fall another 20 feet to the ground, which also could have been fatal. Because, I mean, think about that. Like, she got shot that high up in the air. If she wasn't caught by the wire, she would have come right back down and potentially landed on her head. Yeah, I I didn't even think about that. Another thing that Kennedy said about the accident was she was in a really bad place mentally before the accident. And she was even contemplating like taking her own life. And afterward, she was not feeling that way. So it was like the accident saved her life in like more ways than one. That's really surprising. Yeah. Did she say more about that? Did she say kind of why? No, she didn't. She didn't really go into specifics on that. But she did say like, yeah, I very well may not have been here today if I didn't get into that car accident. The story's so hard to believe in a, such a weird way saved her, mm-hmm. it seems. Yes. It's just, it's hard for me to say that this was a good thing that happened to her, but it just almost seems that way. Yeah, it definitely wasn't something that she wanted to go through. But no. after she went through it, she was almost grateful in that way, at least. Like, obviously, she's got lasting injuries and, like, she lost her leg and she doesn't have full function of her arm. And, you know, she's had to ad- adapt to this new body. But also, in that way, she's like, yeah, I'm grateful that I'm alive. So there's something to that for sure. Kennedy was in the hospital for seven weeks. And when she got home, it was up to her to keep up her rehab on her new body, which was tough. But she has made tons of progress since then. She had the whole summer to recover. And then she went into her senior year of high school in a wheelchair, which was also tough on her. But as time went on, she continued to improve. She got a prosthetic leg and made the best out of everything she could. She even went to prom. And more recently, she has gone to college. And one of her biggest goals is to compete in the Paralympics, possibly for running, snowboarding, or skiing. Do it. That'd be awesome. Yeah. But that's that's Kennedy's freak accident. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. This is super interesting. And <laughs> I I don't know. I can't believe like how seemingly lucky she was and also still sucked. Yes. In a big way. Although it, it really just does go to show that you should wear your seatbelt. Yeah. <laughs> just imagine saying that to her though no i know i mean i'm not she knows i know she knows (laughs) i know she knows but yeah i mean she did say when she was talking about the accident like she only had a short distance to drive with her friends and it was only a couple stop signs and like they didn't think they were in any kind of danger so like they just didn't buckle their seatbelts. but if they had this would have been a, a much different turnout for them yeah yeah because you know what year it was it was actually in 2021, so not that long ago. I, I was asking because I know that, you know, if this happened in the 90s or something, people just had different attitudes towards seatbelts. Oh, yeah, definitely. You 
but no, it was 2021. Well, we wish her well, and hopefully she goes to the Paralympics one day. Absolutely. But anyway, on to story number two. The next story is Chris Gursky's story. He was hand gliding on vacation in Switzerland when something went terribly wrong. Chris Gursky said he wouldn't consider himself an adrenaline junkie, but when he and his wife would go on vacation together, they like to try different things. They want to go on excursions together and just have a new experience. Chris had always wanted to see the Matterhorn, which led them to Switzerland on vacation together. He and his wife had gone ziplining a few times, so when his wife suggested they try hang gliding to shake things up a bit, Chris was definitely on board. Hang gliding is an air sport or recreational activity in which a pilot flies a light, non-motorized, heavier-than-air aircraft called a hang glider. Most modern hang gliders are made of an aluminum alloy or composite frame covered with a synthetic sailcloth to form a wing. Typically, the pilot is in a harness suspended from the airframe and controls the aircraft by shifting body weight in opposition to control the frame just in case we needed a little lesson on hang gliders. It was the pair's first day in Switzerland, so they were starting out their trip with a bang, going hang gliding on day one. Day one. Oh, yeah. Couldn't be me. (laughs) No. Chris had never gone hang gliding or had any training, so he didn't exactly know what to expect. Once you get to the top of the hill and you're at your launch point, your pilot puts a safety harness on you and you fit it to your body as they talk you through everything. So once they were ready to go, Chris's wife was first to launch, and seeing her flying made him even more excited. After he and his pilot practiced their launch a few times, they were ready to go. The two of them waited for the wind to come. That way there would be an updraft that could help them with their launch. But once it came, the pilot said, are you ready? Run, run, run. And the two took off running. Run, run, run. As fast as you can. You can't catch me. I'm the gingerbread man. On a hang glider. (laughs) Yes. Wait, so is he on day one, he's going to learn how to hang glide and then hang glide on his own? No, he's with an instructor. It's kind of like when you skydive for the first time where you're strapped to someone. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Then this makes more sense. I was going to say, what kind of waiver did he have to fucking (laughs) sign? No, he was strapped to an instructor. Okay. Or at least he should have been. So. (laughs) Oh. Okay. So. The crux of the problem. (laughs) Right. So you're supposed to keep running until your feet leave the ground. But as soon as Chris's feet left the ground, he knew something was terribly wrong. He was supposed to be flying next to his pilot, but he sort of just sank straight down and was hanging on with just his hands. That was when he realized that he was the only thing holding himself to the hang glider. He had never been strapped in. So he had to hold on for dear life. They didn't strap him in? Nope. The height of the hill they had taken off from was about 4,000 meters, so it was a very substantial hill. And like once they took off, they were very high in the sky and there was really not much they could do about it. How about land? Well, right, but like you can't just land immediately. Like you have to maneuver in a certain way. And once he was off the ground, they were very high up. Oh, shit. And he's just like literally dangling. No, well, okay, so here's the other thing. Typically, when you're strapped in, you're laying flat and holding onto a bar across both people. And to tip the front of the glider down to like go lower, you have to pull your weight over the bar. 
So it's like a, a weight balance kind of thing. But Chris was dangling straight down. So the glider was like tipped up the whole time, which made landing very difficult because it was like it wanted to go higher kind of thing. Oh, my God. So you have to kill the motor. But there was no motor. So. Oh, I thought you said they were motorized. No, motorless. Oh. No motor. Oh, so they're fucked. Well, it seemed that way. And, you know, another thought is knowing that you're dangling immediately when you take off, just drop, you know, like just let go. But like I said, they took off very quickly. And by the time Chris realized, although it was quickly, they were already far too high for him to just drop. And the pilot noticed Chris wasn't strapped in almost right away because his flight path changed immediately. And Chris was dangling. So Chris is right-handed, but he couldn't get a good grip with his right hand. His right hand was holding a shoulder strap on the pilot and his left hand was holding onto the hang gliding bar, but his right hand kept slipping off of the strap. So he's kind of hanging onto this hang glider with like one hand. <laughs> I mean, how many daydreams have you had like this or like nightmares where oh my you're God. hanging where on you're, by a thread? Or when you're falling and you just like hit the ground and you like jolt awake? That's like very what this is. Yeah. So after his right hand slipped from the strap, he was literally holding onto the bar with only his left hand, but he tried to grab the strap at the pilot's waist, but that didn't work. So he just ended up grabbing the pilot's leg. And by the end, he ended up only being able to hold onto a bit of fabric on the pilot's leg with his right hand. So he thankfully had a good grip on the bar, but as they were going, Chris said he looked down and it was an absolutely beautiful day. <laughs> That's the bitch of it all. And he was looking at the tops of the trees below him and thinking about his body flailing through the air toward the ground. But at the same time, he's like, damn, look at that view. I picked a great day for this to happen. <laughs> yeah. He thought to himself there was no way he was going to let go. By the time they made it closer to the ground, Chris said he had about 10 more seconds in him of holding on because he was losing his grip on the bar. Because remember, the grip he had was his non-dominant hand. Oh, that's tough. Yes. As his feet skidded along the grass, he lost his grip completely and he fell. But at least at that point, he was already on the ground. I mean, they were moving really fast, so he, he hit the ground hard, but it wasn't from like very high in the air. Yeah, he'll live. Yes. He was in the air for two minutes and 14 seconds. Wow. I bet that felt a little longer. Yes. And like like hearing two minutes and 14 seconds, you're like, oh, a short amount of time. No. But have you ever tried to dangle from something for longer than like 30 seconds? It's, it's tough. difficult. <laughs> like it's very hard to do and not many people can do it. With and he, one arm. With one arm. And he's not like an out of shape man, but like he's also wasn't preparing for that. <laughs> You yeah, know, no. that's the sort of thing you have to like train for. Yeah. As Chris was on the ground, the pilot had to keep going for a, a little bit longer to land the glider. So he kept going and actually had to go over a barbed wire fence and landed in a gun range of all places. Isn't that insane? Thankfully, it wasn't active at the moment, but like he had to land in the worst possible place over a barbed wire fence and in a gun range. I mean, that would have been a really freak accident. You know, it was already a freak accident. I, know, I don't think we needed just, another like, add to the freak mm -hmm. You'd land in a gun range and you get shot. Yeah. So once the pilot did land, he was extremely out of breath because he was holding on to Chris the whole time while he was trying to fly and was understandably very stressed out. Yeah. 
Chris had to hit the ground pretty hard because they had been going at about 45 miles an hour. So it was as if he had been thrown out of a car. He ended up breaking his wrist in the fall because he must have put his arm out to brace himself as he fell. So he immediately broke his wrist. He tumbled a bit. He had a scrape on his head. His shirt was ripped up and his watch was ripped off. But once he had finished, he sat up and could not believe that he was still alive. (laughs) I mean, I guess that's kind of the best case scenario is one broken wrist. Yeah, right? He looked down and saw that his wrist was very swollen and it hurt. So he thought to himself, oh, great. I broke my wrist on the first day of vacation, which is funny because he almost died on the first day of vacation. But <laughs> yeah, whoa. well, now we're past that. <laughs> right, exactly. We're we're not going to die on the first day of vacation. We just got to deal with a broken bone, which I mean, that still was sucks. 20 seconds ago. Right, exactly. Already gone. <laughs> yeah. Bygones. Onward and upward, you know? <laughs> well, maybe not upward. Stay on the ground. <laughs> Firmly planted. The pilot made it over to where Chris was, and he told him not to get up since he thought Chris might be more hurt than he actually was or go into shock. But Chris said that he was fine. The pilot told him they had to go to the hospital, and they would walk over to a van that would take them to the hospital that was very nearby. But Chris told him he wasn't going anywhere without his wife. So they first drove to the landing spot they were supposed to be at to get his wife. And she had no idea what had just happened. She was in the air having the flight of her life, and arguably so was Chris, but she landed (laughs) about five minutes after Chris had landed because they had to make an emergency landing. And when they pulled up, Chris said his wife looked like she had just done the coolest thing of her entire life. She was very excited and loved the experience. And as she was telling Chris how cool it was, he was like, that's great, honey. We got to go to the hospital. (laughs) (laughs) That's great, honey. The ambulance is here. Yeah. Our Uber's here. Right. She didn't know what happened to her husband until the two of them were alone in the ER because the pilot had gone with them to the hospital, so they didn't really talk about it on the way over. So it was a very really? like awkward, quiet car ride. And then once he left to go like park his car or something, he was alone with his wife and he's like, okay, I got to tell you what actually happened because this was the craziest thing ever. Wait, did the pilot lie? No. Or like, did she ask what happened? Well, she just thought that he broke his wrist on the fall. Like or in the landing like she thought that they had landed really hard and he just broke his wrist oh okay yeah so she knew they were going for his wrist but she didn't know that he had almost fallen to his death for two minutes and 14 seconds yeah chris said the pilot felt horrible about what had happened and wanted to help as much as possible he told chris he would cover everything all of his medical expenses anything he could He had to leave them in the hospital for a few minutes to go move his car, like I said. So when they were finally alone, his wife asked him how he broke his wrist. She was like, did it get caught under the landing gear or something? Like, what happened? And that was when he told his wife that he had been the closest to death that he had ever come because he was never attached to the hang glider. And she could not believe that. That is a crazy thing to hear. But that's what happened. Day one of your vacation. Yeah. Chris had to either get surgery on his wrist there in Switzerland, or they would give him the option of keeping ice on it until he got home and then doing it there. But he chose to just have it done in Switzerland. He's like, get me fixed up. He was able to leave the hospital the next afternoon. And the pilot who drove them to the hospital and the owner of the hang gliding company met them at the hospital to give them Swiss chocolates and scratch off tickets because he was a one in a million guy. So they're like, you might just win the lottery. This is the cheapest lawsuit they'll ever settle. Chocolate and lottery tickets. Yes. 
the next few days, Chris and his wife went sightseeing a little bit. They weren't able to really do the vacation they wanted to do, but Chris said he didn't point fingers or blame anyone because he took the high road since it was just an accident. <laughs> are they're, they're Americans, right? They are. This is not a typical American. They're from Florida. They're from Florida. Florida man. He's a Florida man. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like most people would have sued the shit out of that company. Yes, absolutely. And I might have as well. You know, and you probably would have been well within your rights too. I mean, at least give me another go round for the trip. Well, they did. Oh, they did? Yeah. Right, so then I'm probably good. The hang gliding company offered to bring him and his wife back to Switzerland to redo their vacation. So they did pay for like a redo vacation later on. And they went back a year later where Chris ran the same hill. Oh, he did it again. Oh, yeah. He did it again. Oh and before they God. took off, three or four people checked him multiple times over. And they had a great flight. They did some tricks in the air and had a really good landing. And it was really cool. And he and his wife even discussed taking hang gliding lessons in Florida, where they're from. And Chris learned that if you have a positive attitude about things, they turn out way better. Wow. Okay. I, I like their vibe. I do too. I like their vibe. They I can mean, hang. They, they go. <laughs> you like that? You are on fire today. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, they're just adventurous, kind of smiley. Happy go lucky. Yeah, happy go lucky type of people. Yeah. Well, and happy go unlucky. That was crazy. Yeah, well, you know what I mean? Anti, a, anti Karen. <laughs> yeah, it's the opposite. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they. Uh, got back up and did it i mean that's crazy it's super cool he just they were like yeah come back to switzerland and do it again and he was like bet he's like yeah yeah that's chris's story that was the longest two minutes of his life oh my god 100 percent. actually have you ever seen the video no there is a video of chris and his hang gliding experience on the internet that oh, they, you can see did somebody have like a gopro or i think it's like they record your like they record your hang gliding for you like they oh like my God. you know so you have the experience so there is a video of him hanging on to the hang glider with his hand you can see the whole trip that's i mean not surprising but this wild they captured it on camera yeah and you can you can just go see it yes you can go wow. on youtube and look it up man who hangs from hang glider or whatever yeah whatever your search man will be not strapped into hang glider like you can see his video pretty easily mm. so anyway Let's move on to story number three, shall we? We're going to be talking about a man named Ron Hunt. Great last name. Yeah, you love that. He had a bit of a drill bit incident. Okay. So. Okay. 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 So in August of 2003, Ron was working an industrial drill called a whole hog, which is used by contractors and is massive. It's 18 inches long and like an inch wide or something. Like it's a massive drill. That's big. That's small. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for your contribution. That's... Not small. Not small. Okay. On the morning of August 15th, 2003, electrician Ron Hunt and his partner Forrest Keating arrived on a job site in Truckee, California to install electrical wiring. He was standing on a six-foot ladder and drilling a hole for a power outlet over his head. He was reaching out from where he was standing with the drill, and he gave the drill just a little bit of extra push to make the hole, but that was when the ladder shifted back and forth and back and forth, and the whole hog had fallen to the ground with its bit aimed upward, and Ron lost his balance before he fell to the floor right on top of the drill. 
This is like Final Destination type of scenario. It really is. Yeah. And it's like a massive drill. Like it is. It's 18 inches, dude. Right. Probably clean through him. It 100% went clean through him. Yeah. Ron said when he hit the ground, he heard a terrible crunch. The drill bit, ready for this, had gone through the socket of Ron's right eye and out the other side of his head. Yep. This is what nightmares are made of. This is what you bring to me today. It's a freak accidents episode. We get unhinged. It went through his eye? And out his head, yeah. And he lived? He sure did. He ran his hands up the length of the bit until he got to his face, and then he put his other hand over the back of his head. So he's like holding the drill into his eye and, you know, so it doesn't move. After realizing the situation he was in, Ron immediately wondered if he was going to die, as one naturally would. (laughs) So (laughs) once the drill bit went through his head, it, sorry to say this, disintegrated his right eye, like immediately. He knew he was going to be blind, at least in that eye for the rest of his life, but he did not care. He only cared about staying alive at that point. Thankfully, Forrest had heard Ron's screams for help and came to his aid immediately and called for help. Not long after that, Ron was airlifted to Washoe Medical Center in Reno, Nevada, At the hospital, doctors and nurses rushed Ron to get a scan of his head. That way they could see where the drill had gone through. And shockingly enough, the drill had missed Ron's brain. What? Seriously? So the eye socket is a cone, and normally you would expect anything that entered into that eye socket to be funneled toward the brain. But Ron told his doctor that as he fell, he saw the drill bit coming, and he turned his head just enough to get it to come out the side of his head. Dude, that is so beyond lucky. Yeah. Here's a fact that I haven't verified. Okay. Okay. I've heard that your eyes are actually part of your brain. Like they actually map directly to your spinal cord. Uh Uh-huh. So like that's why you can react to things you see without thinking. Interesting. Yeah. It's just like it goes direct. Right. That sounds right to me. Not verified at all, but if true kind of crazy because your eyes are your brain in a weird way i like that okay and it sounds like that's what happened because he saw the drill coming and turned his head i'm sure it wasn't his like brain being like oh yeah we're gonna make it come out the side of his head it was more like "Uh uh-oh but just a reaction yeah but still i mean it saved his life because if it went straight through he would have died yeah i mean hard to imagine a drill bit through the brain you know and coming out yeah so coming out the other side Mm -hmm. you know in a sense yeah okay so from two dot orgs the eye is an extension of the brain okay and that is as far as i'm willing to research (laughs) you got one sentence deep and you're like that's enough for me thank you does anyone care to know more no go look on your own i mean i I think you've made your point and i like it i was right you are right But uh, when Ron was taken into surgery, doctors had the initial plan to cut off the drill bit. But as they worked, they realized that it had come loose. So they literally had to rotate it back out of his head. Like they had to put it in reverse. I just, I really don't want to imagine this scenario. Can I, I'm going to pass on this one. This is too visceral. Yeah, we can keep Backing it up through the eye. No, not for me. Okay. So five days after his surgery, Ron was able to return home. Isn't that crazy? This is a quick turnaround. Uh Uh-huh. 
He still experiences numbness on the side of his face and generally wears an eye patch, but he's back at work doing the same job that nearly killed him. He said he's now extra cautious at work. He looks twice before he takes a step, but he was given a second chance and he is grateful for that. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is, what else is he going to do? You know, I mean, you went through, I imagine, the schooling or certification to be an electrician. Yeah. And it makes good money. Right. I mean, that was his job. Yeah. And I'm sure he knows in some degree it's a dangerous job to do. You know, if you make the wrong mistake, you're working with power tools. So, yeah, I mean, that's his job. And he went back to it. Good for him. We love that for you him. Know? Yeah. And what a great last name. So good. But that's his story. So why don't we move on to the next? We're kind of flying through. Sure. In September of 2008, 46-year-old homeless man Robert Evans was riding his bicycle one evening when he was involved in a hit and run at the intersection of Folsom Street and Canyon Boulevard in Boulder, Colorado. Someone struck him with their car and then drove away like a complete asshole. And he and his bike were taken by ambulance to Boulder, Colorado Hospital, where he was treated for minor injuries. At about 3 a.m., Evans was released from the hospital, which is about five miles from a camp in northeast Boulder where he was living at the time. And on his way home, he started crossing a narrow railroad bridge. And while walking his bike across the bridge, he saw the lights of a Burlington Northern Santa Fe empty coal train coming straight for him. Because it was a shorter distance to go toward the train to get off the tracks, Evans ran straight ahead at the train and like this little bridge that he was on was only big enough for the train so he could not be on it at the same time he decided he could beat the train to the other side of the bridge but he did not make it he was hit by the train and then fell off of the bridge 10 feet down into the creek below so again evans was taken to the hospital and only sustained minor head injuries and was put in a neck brace but he was ultimately fine and released again from the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> this is so crazy. Yeah. The railroad bridge, like I said, is only wide enough to accommodate the train and is not intended for pedestrians or other traffic. So because of that, he was ticketed for trespassing. And they Are you banned him kidding from the bridge. No. So this man got hit by a car and then was released and then got hit by a train and fell off a bridge. And they were like, congratulations on not dying. Here's a ticket. Yeah, I was like, isn't getting hit by the train punishment enough? You would think. Right? You would think. And if and if <laughs> getting hit by the train wasn't punishment enough, maybe falling off the bridge. Yeah. You I know, mean. Cut him a break. I mean, yeah, Jesus seriously. Christ. If anyone can get out of the ticket, this guy? Get a, hit I by mean, a train free card? A Boulder PD, <laughs> salt of the earth type of people. Yeah, I don't know. So, so they gave him a ticket and they banned him from the bridge. I think that much was clear obvious before the ticket <laughs> right sergeant jim mcpherson of the boulder police department said i hope he goes and buys a lottery ticket because he's the luckiest man on the face of the earth aside from the ticket is this story is there more or is this it um that's Does he pretty get hit by like a third car no that's no? that's that's the story he was hit by a car a train and then fell off a bridge and lived to tell the tale all in a span of seven hours <laughs> He's lucky, yeah. I wonder if he did buy a lottery ticket. I hope yeah. he did, and I hope he won. Well, this is crazy that he got hit by a train and then got a ticket because I know somebody who got hit by a car and then they gave him an MIP. 
that he was drunk is so messed up so that an mip is just you're drunk in public kind of thing underage underage gotcha but i mean it was like over 18 under 21 right. type of it's right. just like Bleh. yeah but but that's... he got hit by a car <laughs> like smacked his head off the pavement oh my god and then they gave him a ticket so i guess it's like they're they're no strangers to giving tickets to people who get hit by things they're like we don't care that you got hit you we're gonna get you this ticket <laughs> here's a ticket and you're in medical debt congratulations yeah. yay we love that um well that sucks but i am glad to hear that robert evans lived to tell the tale as we always are and i hope he got back to biking just not on the tracks you just just avoid the train tracks the ones that are too small for people to be on and a train at the same time maybe don't you know that's like in the beginning where i'm like hey wear a seat belt <laughs> it's like <laughs> we know we know we know you're giving teacher vibes i'll wait <laughs> <laughs> the bell dismisses you <laughs> the bell does not dismiss you i dismiss you thank oh, you oh yeah that's what i meant i understood what you were saying but i'm the teacher remember sure. all right so on to our next story and this one is kind of a treat for me at least because it's about a cat who truly had nine lives tell me more okay so during world war ii amidst the chaos and devastation a unique and remarkable story emerged about a black and white patched cat named unsinkable sam also known as oscar born in germany around 1940 unsinkable sam began his military career as a ship's cat aboard the german battleship bismarck the Bismarck was one of the largest battleships ever built by Germany and during its time was considered one of the mightiest warships in the world. Oscar lived on board doing what cats do, napping, catching mice, and deciding when he would let people touch him. May 27, 1941 started out as a normal day for Oscar, but that day would be the first of a long string of survivals for him. That day, the Bismarck found itself cornered by British battleships and was sunk after a fierce naval battle, and only 115 of the crew of over 2,000 survived the attack, one of which was Oscar. Wow. Yeah, so British sailors found Oscar floating on a board in the water amongst the wreckage, and they took him aboard the HMS Cossack, a British destroyer, and they renamed him Unsinkable Sam. So he went from being Oscar to Unsinkable Sam, probably because they didn't know his name. They just gave him that name. And they had no idea how fitting that name would really be. So the cat served on board the Cossack for the next few months as the ship carried out convoy escort duties in the Mediterranean Sea and North Atlantic Ocean. And a few months later, in October of 1941, the HMS Cossack was escorting a convoy from Gibraltar to Great Britain when she was severely damaged by a torpedo fired by a German submarine. The initial explosion had blown off one-third of the forward section of the ship, killing 150 of the crew. However, Oscar survived this and was brought aboard the HMS Ark Royal, which ironically had been instrumental in the hunt and destruction of the Bismarck. Really? Okay. Well, this is really... Full circle. Tying together. He's on, he's on his third ship. He sure is. <laughs> he sure is. And in an unfortunate twist of fate, the Ark Royal, too, was torpedoed and sank in November of 1941. <laughs> this is the same year? Yes. Oh my God. Months apart, 
this cat has been on three shipwrecks and lived to meow the tail. (laughs) I don't know why that hit so hard. Thank you. It's pretty funny. Thank you. The carrier rolled over and sank 30 miles from Gibraltar, and the slow rate at which the ship sank meant all but one of the crew could be saved. Unsinkable Sam, again, had been found clinging to a floating plank and was described as, quote-unquote, angry but quite unharmed. And he was transferred to HMS Lightning, which did end up sinking in 1943, but I believe Sam wasn't on board when that happened. (laughs) Well, thank God. Yeah. Did they finally take him, like, give him a... Land. You know, he did his tour. A land position? Yeah. Yeah. So Unsinkable Sam survived three sunken ships, the Bismarck, HMS Cossack, and the Ark Royal. And after his trio of naval disasters, the British Royal Navy decided that perhaps the sea was not the best place for Sam. And he was transferred to a job on dry land in Gibraltar to hunt mice in the government of Gibraltar's offices. Beautiful. Sam was sent to Belfast, living out his days in the home of a sailor, and he sadly passed away in 1995. So he was in the government offices Wait. for a little while. Then he was sent to live with a sailor, and then he died in 1955. Okay, I thought you said 1995. No, 1955. It's a good run for a cat, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't know how old he was when he got aboard the, the boat. I mean, even if he was zero, he made it to 14. It's not bad. That's true. Yeah, pretty good run. His legend, however, did not fade. Unsinkable Sam became a naval legend, and his story was shared widely both during and after the war. Although the story is fun, there are reasons to believe it is fake, although I choose to believe it's real. For one, there are no records of Sam being brought aboard the Bismarck. There's also the issue of Oscar, who is also Sam, appearing different in a few pictures or portraits of him. They show him as a black and white tuxedo cat, and one is a pastel drawing made by an unknown artist in which he is sitting on a piece of floating wood. Another portrait some have claimed to be Unsinkable Sam is a photograph of a tuxedo cat wearing a collar, but it is clearly inscribed saying HMS Amethyst, 1949, and it's more likely a portrait of another wartime ship cat named Simon, who was aboard the Amethyst. And there is also a third photo featuring a tabby cat that has been claimed to be Oscar as well. But one of the explanations of these discrepancies within the legend of Unsinkable Sam is that the cat could have been a stowaway instead of an official animal mascot of the Bismarck. So him not being in the records isn't like a huge deal breaker for the story. As for the pastel drawing, there is also no reason why a drawing of Unsinkable Sam would have been created if he did not actually exist. So they're like, all right, why would there just be a random painting of a black and white cat floating on a board if it didn't actually happen and someone saw it, you know? Imagination. That's true. Those artists are, dare I say, a little creative. A spunky bunch. Spunky bunch. Yeah, so. Uh, This is one I choose to believe. Yes. There are speculations and possibilities, but none of them can be proven. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, (laughs) everyone's like, yeah, he probably existed. Although there is reason to be skeptical of the tale of Sam, the unsinkable cat, there is also reason to believe in it. Bringing cats aboard ships was an old-timey sailor trick to keep rats at bay, but wartime animals were no novelty either. Animals, particularly domesticated ones like dogs and cats, showed up in war zones long before World War II, mostly as a way to keep the morale of fighting troops intact while they faced extreme challenges during drawn-out battles. Sometimes these wartime animals also helped in battle, 
Dogs and pigeons were commonly deployed at the front lines, and cats were common on ships because they could apparently sense when bad weather was coming. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know so, they could do that. Oh, yeah. And there were other animals, too, that like were a part of war, which is really interesting. I never even knew that. But yeah, there were definitely cats on board ships, probably, who went down. So Unsinkable Sam in my book was real. Me too. 100%. But that's his story, the Unsinkable Sam. Isn't that kind of fun? Yeah, I just can't imagine you're in the, you just had an intense battle that you won, I guess. And you find a cat floating on a board. Yeah, and then you pick it up. Oh, yeah. Why wouldn't you? I don't know. It's not like they're an enemy. They're just a cat. True. (laughs) Yeah, it's (laughs) kind of silly. Part of the mission log. Yeah, but they're all like, ah, sweet. Now we got a cat. (laughs) Like, I would absolutely pick up the cat. I do have one more story. It's a quick one, though. And it also has to do with a sinking ship. One we know well. Okay. Okay. So let, let us say the Titanic. It could be. Just hold tight. Ready? 21-year-old Dick Williams was a tennis star with a promising athletic career ahead of him when he decided to move to the United States from Switzerland in order to attend Harvard. So he booked uh, a ticket on the Titanic. Oh, wow. Dick Williams was traveling with his father, Charles, and they remained on board the sinking ship until near the very end, quote-unquote, helping passengers into lifeboats. Tragically, as they went to board a lifeboat themselves, Charles was killed by a falling funnel. Isn't that sad? A falling funnel, dude? Yeah, he just got struck by something that was like falling on the boat and he died, which is sad. Williams ended up in the freezing water and managed to climb into a collapsible lifeboat, which had not been assembled, quote unquote. He was submerged in water up to his waist. And when the rescue ship Carpathia arrived, only 11 out of the 30 passengers aboard the half-sunken lifeboat were still alive. And he was one of them. Naturally, Williams was suffering from severe frostbite on his legs, but when the doctor on board the Carpathia told him they needed to be amputated, Williams replied, I refuse to give you permission. I'm going to need these legs. So he walked up and down the deck of the rescue ship to restore circulation, presumably while doctors watched menacingly. And 12 weeks later, Williams was competing in his tournaments again. (laughs) He went on to graduate from Harvard, serve in the U.S. Army during World War I, and claim a victory at Wimbledon and the 1924 Olympics and multiple U.S. nationals. Wow. That is incredible. Isn't it? I mean, just the life that he went on to live after he basically told the doctors to fuck off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No notes. No notes. That's incredible. He's like, yeah, I'm going to need these legs. And he just walked up and down the ship until they were like safe again and he got his circulation back and he kept his legs but isn't that i just thought that one was so funny i was like wow that's pretty insane yeah what a life but those are all the freak accidents i have for you today is there any one that stuck out to you that was a good batch um i'm still thinking about the car accident yeah our number Kennedy. one our first one isn't that, that poor one girl freaky but- I know it's just so freaky, but I just like in such a weird way. Like if you had to go through that car accident, mm-hmm. the place to end up was on the power line. Yeah, which on is on that specific one too, right? I honestly didn't even know that you could touch a power line like that. Like I thought that you would just be electrocuted on site, kind of thing. Me too, but I mean, there's they're like in rubber, right? They're in some kind of insulation yeah but i think i mean the birds land on them all the time that's that's true birds do be landing on them unless they're charging (laughs) wait 
Hold on. Wait, hang on. I think you're onto something. Hey, hey, hey. I think the birds are fake. No, you're right. But I mean, there was some kind of electricity going through it because it cauterized her wounds. And when they fall, they are electrified. You know what I mean? Stay away. They do. Like I, I actually, when I was looking up um, the freak accidents, there was a story of one of the electrical poles like falling to the ground in a storm. And they thought that the power was off or something. And this woman like stepped on the line and she like died immediately. Wow. Yeah. Well, I imagine when they fall, they like rip off. Right. But I mean, maybe, maybe like her bone or something because she was hanging by her broken leg. So like maybe her bone tore the rubber or whatever and she was electrocuted. I mean, clearly there was electricity going through it. I mean, we know this is fact, so we don't have to speculate. It's just hard to imagine what the chances of that happening are. <laughs> yeah. You know, one in a million, probably. I probably don't know. Probably a little more. Yeah. So I guess that's the one that sticks out to me. I mean, although they're all insane in their own way. Absolutely. I think the one that stuck with me was the hang glider. Oh, yeah. The hang glider one is pretty, pretty freaky because I feel like that is a nightmare that I've had, you know? Yeah. I think I might have seen the video at some point because I, I don't know. It's almost, I feel like it's been part of a meme or something Yeah. where people like he just, you know, like, oh, shit. Yes. And then they're, they're like flying. Yes, you definitely have then because I, I mean, I've seen the video many times. So when I was planning this episode, I was I literally thought I didn't even like find his story randomly. I like sought it out. I was like, I wonder if I could get the story on the guy that held on to the hang glider. <laughs> and turns out I could. So here we are. Yeah, and then they, then he landed in a gun range. Isn't that that was such a weird I detail? Mean, yeah, I mean it was an inactive gun range at that moment, but a gun range nonetheless. Imagine <laughs> they, he was so cool about it, though. Oh, he couldn't have been cooler. Couldn't have been yeah. cooler. But imagine being the instructor in the first split second of this happening. It just evacuate my bowels. Yes. Yeah. The stress. Yeah. The done. fear. Fear. Anyway, that's all the stories I have, and that's all I have to say about that. So why don't you tell me something good as a bit of a palate cleanser? Well, I'm going to LA next week. <laughs> that's been my good thing for the past like two episodes that I've recorded. I'm cashing in. Hey, you know, you're also going to LA, so you can cash in. Yes, and I'm excited for the weather mm -hmm. and golf. Mm -hmm. And the restaurants. And the restaurants. Oh, baby. Come I on. can't I cannot wait. And that's my good thing. What is your good thing? That's a really good thing. My good thing is simple but elegant. I am happy that I have some Valentine's Day chocolate. I know it's a little early, but we're going to be traveling around the time of Valentine's Day and so I demanded that Alex get me a heart box of chocolate and he and we took a trip to Target and we got one and I've been eating away at it. So happy about that. Yes, and Steph demanded, and I said, okay, you got it. You got it, babe. <laughs> sure. And I've been eating the chocolates, too, because yeah. I'm a Valentine, too, damn it. Hell yeah, you are. You know? Yeah. So, so it's it's our box of chocolates. Oh, so. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> That's so gross. Okay. Anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to get a bunch of bonus episodes and vote on stories you want to hear, head over to patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. Get your merch while it's hot at nottodaypodcast.myshopify.com. 
If you or anyone you know has a story of survival that you would like to share with us and possibly hear on an upcoming listener's episode, send it to notodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is not today podcast and a Twitter that is not today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.